Hi, friends. This is Sophie Ziegler, and you're listening to What is Solidarity History? The podcast that tries to understand how history workers and storytellers can work in solidarity with the communities and causes that we love. Today's guest is Ray Geringer. Ray uses they, them pronouns and is the founder of Country Queers, a multimedia oral history project that uplifts often unheard stories of country and small town queer experiences across intersecting layers of identity, including race, class, gender, age, religion, and occupation. So Country Queers is a multimedia oral history project that I started in 2013 with no real idea what I was doing, <laughs> no oral history experience, no audio recording experience, no money, no like real clear plan. But I grew up in rural West Virginia and didn't know any out queer people until I left the state for college in Western Mass. And so I think I spent a long time away from home feeling like I couldn't be queer and be here. And when I finally did move home for a variety of reasons, including some health issues in my late 20s, I like, of course, there's queer people. <laughs> I would see people in a different way than as a kid. I hadn't been able to maybe see queerness. And I think a lot had changed in the decade I was gone. So I just started to see queer people around a lot of times at Walmart for some reason and got really frustrated that there was no like local evidence that we'd always been there, but also that in a national queer media landscape, there was almost nothing. Oh, this is Sophie just butting in real fast. I'll get back to Ray and the origin story of country queers in just a second. I just wanted to draw attention to that last bit about Walmart. Does anybody remember that scene from Imogene Benny's novel Nevada, in which Maria first sees James at the Star City of Walmart? It's a wonderful scene. It goes like this. As soon as Maria Griffiths sees James Hansen in the Star City, Nevada Walmart, she's like, that kid is trans, and he doesn't even know it yet. That's chapter eight of part two. That's the entirety of that chapter. I love that book. Anyway, both Ray and I have this dream that we could put together an entire series of interviews based on Walmart as a place of queer connections. There's somebody who's met at the Walmart, some country queers out there, and I would, if anybody hears this, please get in touch. That would be so lovely. Project. That would be yeah. like a whole wonderful like little sub-series. Of, you know, oh my gosh. I know. If this is you, please be in touch. Okay. Well, back to Ray and the origin story of Country Queers. I remember doing a Google search and for like rural and queer or rural and gay or small town. And there was like one article <laughs> that would come up. And then there were like two academic books. And then, of course, there were like... There was the movie Boys Don't Cry. There was Brokeback Mountain. There was the story of Matthew Shepard. All of these are about like white masculine people who get killed. So yeah, that's how Country Covers was born. It definitely started as like, I needed it desperately because I was so thrilled to be home. But also I was like, oh my God, all of my queer friends are in New York or Austin or the Bay. And like, I just can't even explain to them on the phone, like what's going on here. I'm like substitute teaching in the elementary school I went to and the principal still the same principal. This is just not the same experience we're having. And then in the past decade, it's looked and moved in a lot of different ways. But we, I would say at this point, are most known for the podcast, which we launched in 2020 in the summer. We've done two seasons of the podcast and then some bonus episodes in between. It's hard to overstate how important Country Queers has been for me personally. 
When I first started looking for a way to document queerness in my location, specifically when I started the Louisiana Trans Oral History Project, I knew that there were voices that I needed to hear, people I needed to hear from, people I needed to learn from, experiences I needed to relate to. Ray and Country Queers has shown me how to bring these voices to myself and also how to share these voices with anyone else who might need to hear them. In fact, I think of this podcast, dear listener, not only as a journey toward a definition and practice of solidarity history, whatever that might be, but also as a record of appreciation for the work that everyone does who appears on this podcast. Care and appreciation is something that Ray and I spoke a lot about during our conversation, especially in terms of collecting personal narratives. I have a lot of care and respect for the people that share their stories with me, with this project. The worst thing for me would be to hear from someone that they felt really exposed or like disrespected or violated in some way by trusting me with something really personal. I think about this a lot with like news coverage of like disaster crises often feels so extractive and weird because people are in like extreme distress and then we like listen to them like weeping about losing their home and it just feels I don't know is this benefiting the community which that's a large question in storytelling work at all does storytelling work actually benefit people hopefully I hope so sometimes I'm like what's the point I think some of it is growing up in Appalachia and like leaving the region for the northeast for college and then really understanding a longer history of the way that an outside perception of a community can really, really detrimentally affect that community in terms of extractive stories that flatten a place into the worst parts of itself. (laughs) And I think that's something that there's also a long history of with queer and trans people that's like not that long ago and also is returning many of those conversations around being dangerous pedophiles even right like how much that has come back this like grooming language there's such a history of the way that queer and trans people have been represented being so hateful i've long been interested in journalism and the overlap between journalism and oral history and the overlap of journalism and archives and how the different fields can learn from each other and though i sometimes contribute to journalistic outlets I certainly don't consider myself a journalist, and I don't consider myself all that well-versed in the day-to-day work of journalism, which is why I love to hear Ray's thoughts on storytelling in different formats and for different purposes, as well as the harm that can be done when care isn't taken. I think it's just, I think this is true for working in stories in a variety of formats. I like wish that in more traditional journalists, journalistic spaces, (laughs) that the ways people who are working with someone else's stories care for that responsibility were really given a lot more I don't know attention and intention I think a lot of different communities especially in the south and Appalachia communities of color queer and trans communities have had pretty negative experiences at times with the media and with representations of our communities I think there's a lot of harm that can be done with storytelling work and has been done there's no such thing as perfect I think maybe in this kind of work but I do try really hard and take it really seriously, trying to create a space in the interview itself of feeling as safe and comfortable as possible. And that goes also into helping shape and decide what we do and don't talk about. Like, I really want people who share their stories to feel like they can 
not continue talking about something that's come up or not go down a path if it feels uncomfortable or if all of the questions I'm asking are like, I'm too bored, let's talk about your horses instead, which happens. Like people are like, I really don't want to talk about being gay. It's all fine. But let me tell you about this horse, <laughs> which I love, actually. I think earlier on, I didn't always know how to do deal with that. But like at this point, I, I'm like, let's go where it goes in the interview process. A lot of information up front about what the project is, why we're gathering these stories, how we might share that story with an audience. And trying to give people just like many points to to help shape or give feedback about how it's feeling, how we're handling that story. When I worked at the radio station, I did not have time to do this, but it also was a really different kind of interview I was doing. It would be like I'm interviewing someone about their job or about this specific event in a community or about some particular sort of like cultural tradition. This was when I worked in, in Kentucky. So there wasn't the time to do that level of check-in, but it also was like the interviews often didn't get as vulnerable. This type of care with those we work with and this type of sensitivity to different settings and needs of different types of storytelling is what I've been considering solidarity, or at least an important part of solidarity. But I know that solidarity can mean a lot of different things to different people. Hence the need for more than one episode of this podcast. I asked Ray about how they think about solidarity in relation to country queers, if they consider solidarity a part of the project. I guess there's a way in which I have associated, and I don't think this is necessarily true, but like I've associated solidarity as like this community is in solidarity with this other community. And like maybe we're having different experiences, but we see and hear each other's like struggles and calls for support and change and are like in support of each other. I think that's how I've generally thought of solidarity as like this cross community or identity thing. But I actually was thinking about it in relation to country queers. And I was like, no, I actually I do think it makes sense for this project. Right. It's like trying to build a sense of community and connection around some shared identities. When a lot of other parts of our lives are very different from each other, but around these like two two layers of identity around like geography and location and some parts of our identity i think there is i think that is in some ways solidarity work but it's interesting to think about it in in terms of history because it's like in some ways it's so i think i also think i've thought of solidarity much more in relation to like social movements and organizing and activism and action so it's really interesting to think about like how can histories be part of solidarity work? And I, it, they totally are. It's a, it's a brilliant name and project I think you all have going on. So solidarity between groups and solidarity within groups and solidarity tying various identities within groups to each other. I'm reminded here of Natalie Nia Folk's observation from last time about always having different identities and how her work with the queer and trans communities always also includes her showing up in her womanness, her blackness, and her southernness. I guess I'm thinking about the world as a beautiful interwoven system these days and how we relate to each other and ourselves in so many different ways. Solidarity is, though, just one part of solidarity history. So I asked Ray about the role of history in their work and its overlap with solidarity. Gosh, it's so hard to think about that, right? Because it's so hard to know what the future then i get very distracted and what is the future gonna be <laughs> given this really wild current that we're in and like how will people even yeah 
how will people even in, engage with this? It's funny too, because to, we call it oral history, but a lot of a lot of it is just like current, very current stuff we're recording, right? Like I think some sort of traditional idea of oral history is that it is with elders who are talking about actual history that has passed. And sometimes we're recording oral histories with people about things that are happening like right now, today. So it is like history work, but it's also very much like current moment work around, I think, connection and sometimes around like uplifting work that needs some support. But yeah, I guess I hope that whatever the equivalent of like me in my late 20s moving home and being like, what the hell? We're here, but nobody has been talking about it. It doesn't happen for people down the road. I hope there's just like more respect and support for rural people in the future. And I hope that through hearing stories, really personal, intimate stories with a lot of connection around both some of the like real joys and also some of the challenges that rural queer people have been experiencing over the past decade of the project. But some of those people talking about decades before that, gosh, I hope we get to a point someday where national funded highly read or listened to media isn't all still <laughs> made with the city audience in mind. In all these ongoing people freaking out about queer and trans people being so scary, like, I think there's been an I there's been this narratives for so long in a lot of conservative places. And I would imagine this is probably true in some international context, but just like where like, gay people are a new thing that came out of cities or came out of whatever like it's nonsense it's not true <laughs> like we've always been here so i hope that i do hope this project helps that never be a narrative that can gain ground again that like we're only here because of city queers and national media that's just it's not true there's always been queer people here there's always been trans people here so those are some hopes it's also wow. a little bit stressful to think about because you think about like how much, especially language around identity changes, how much it's changed in the past decade of this project, how much has changed in the past 20 years since I came out. I'm just like, oh my gosh, people are going to be so mad at all the things we're saying in 15 years, if not already. Yikes, terminology shifts. Please, listeners of the future, know that these are the best words we have right now. We mean no disrespect. We hope you all come up with new and better ways of describing yourselves. But also, please don't be mean to us. At least not if we can hear you. Thanks. One unexamined assumption I carried with me before this project is that solidarity can start where you are and move forward in time. But it doesn't move backward in time. By that I mean, I can be in solidarity with people who are alive now. And I can work in solidarity with folks who will be born in the future. But I've never considered solidarity with community members who have lived in the past. There might be some personal, specific-to-me reasons for this. I'm estranged from most of my immediate family, and I never really knew that much about my extended family, so maybe I just don't feel very connected to the past. And on a larger scale, I'm a white Southerner, right? And I know that there's a lot of racism and hate in my family's past. So I've never really felt a lot of connection to the concept of ancestors. Certainly not, at least in the way that we heard Nellie Neo Folk mention them in episode one. When I asked Ray about the history part of Solidarity History, they also commented on how Solidarity History cuts both ways. It's not just about the people who will come after us. 
is also about those who came before us. One thing that made me think of that I'd never thought of before, especially around the history piece, I do think a lot in this work about, I don't know, almost our like ancestral country queers, like the people that we'll never meet, the people who were never recorded, the people who were existing in rural spaces when everybody thought there were no queer people here and the ways in which their lives like moved and functioned. I think about that a lot. Hope that the work in some like weird amorphous way is like doing justice to those people. You know what I mean? What does it mean to be in solidarity with like people from the past that we'll never know or meet or people whose stories we like might encounter in an archive? I don't know. I have no answer, but that's the thing that that question made me think about. Or even what does it mean to like document communities in the present who we know existed before, but we'll, we don't have evidence of? And is there some kind of like historical through line there in some very woo sense? <laughs> Solidarity across even, across even time. It's not what I thought I would answer that with, but it's what came up. I love the idea of being in solidarity with those who came before us. I love thinking about this historical through line. And I'm so thankful to you, Ray, for taking the time to think about this with me and sharing your thoughts with all of us. Thinking about being in solidarity with those whose stories we'll never hear reminds me of how grateful I am of the rare stories that we do get to hear, the history work that others in the past have done that allow us today to know something of those we'll never meet. I'm reminded of Hill Malatino's book, Trans Care, in which they talk about learning from people in the past and connecting with a version of queerness that they lived. It's not your past to claim, but it still somehow slant rhymes with your present, this instance of trans world making that happened long before we came to speak casually of a gender spectrum. In the episodes to come, we will spend more time talking about connecting with the past by creating records for the future. I hope you'll join us. Thank you for listening, everyone. Please take care. Please let the ones you love know that you love them. Our show's original music is by Andrew Quo. Today's show is arranged and hosted by me, Sophie Ziegler. If you want to help out, you can support the Solidarity History Initiative on Patreon at patreon.com solidarityhistory. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Mastodon. Mostly Mastodon. That one's more fun than the other ones. Special thanks to Caroline Ziegler for lending her voice to the book quotes in this episode. And of course, big thanks to Ray Geringer for thinking with me about solidarity history. I must admit they are the first ones who absolutely refuse to take a swing at defining that term. And that's also me saying, absolutely not. I'm not trying to take a stab at defining what solidarity history is. We'll be back next time to talk more about solidarity history. Bye, y'all. You just gotta blur it. Like, rural. Just make it one syllable. <laughs> or you can always just say country.